Welcome once again to Evangelion, part four of our series on Galatians, and we continue with the final section in Galatians chapter one. So we'll read from Galatians one, verse eighteen to twenty-four. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Kephas, and stayed with him fifteen days. But I did not see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing, "He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy." And they were glorifying God because of me. Well, in one sense, it must have been a huge relief to the Christians、um, in Damascus and in Jerusalem that Paul had had this enigmatic turnaround. It must have been at least encouraging that he was no longer dragging them off、uh, to prison. And yet, it must have been a deeply unnerving time. He says, interestingly, in verse twenty-one, over twenty-two, rather, that he was unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, so they didn't particularly know who he was by face, but they'd heard of his reputation, and all they heard was that this one who once persecuted the church is now preaching the very things that the church itself had been preaching. And it says that they glorified God because of it. Now this is interesting. Let's consider the information that Luke gives us in Acts nine when he describes the time when、um, uh, Paul had had this experience on the ris- on the road to Damascus with the risen Christ,、uh, and then、uh, came to Jerusalem. This is what Luke records in Acts nine in verse twenty three. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him, that is Paul. But their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night, so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him through in a large basket. When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles, and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he talked to him, and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. Now this becomes very important a little later on. Quite understandably, none of the Christians actually thought that Paul had really converted. They simply assumed that, having failed to destroy the church from the outside, he was now coming in to destroy it from the inside. And as Luke says, they were afraid of him, and rightly so. This was someone who had been dragging their brothers and sisters off into incarceration. And the only person who gave Paul the time of day was. Barnabas.、And、I want you to remember that because there's an incident in chapter two, a very important transitional incident,、uh, which involves Barnabas,、uh, and it causes Paul to call out Barnabas by name. 
And of course, you'll remember that having been Paul's longtime traveling companion, that after the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas are said to have parted ways. Uh, and Luke says it was over a dispute with John Mark, which I think is Luke probably embellishing the story slightly. I think there was something else going on um, and that the the uh, issues with John Mark was just a straw that broke the camel's back. But we'll get to that in chapter two. So three years after this incident that happened um, on the road to Damascus, and Paul went away to Arabia um, and... Um, a little bit careful geographically about what we mean by Arabia there. We don't necessarily need to go into that now. But it wasn't for three years that he then went up to Jerusalem. So he didn't, as he said, immediately run up to Jerusalem to consult with the apostles. But he did go there to become acquainted with Kirfas. Now, Kirfas is the apostle Peter. Kirfas is his Aramaic name. Both Kirfas and Petros, the Greek, both mean the same thing in English. They mean um, rock and Paul stayed with Peter for 15 days. Uh, the great evangelical scholar C.H. Dodd once commented that it's highly unlikely that they spent 15 days talking about the weather. You could imagine the kinds of questions that Paul would have had for Peter, uh, and needless to say, they would all have surrounded the earthly Christ. What was this Jesus like? What was it like to actually hear him preach and teach? What did it mean to follow him? What was it like to observe his miraculous ministry, his healing ministry? What was what was he like as an exorcist? What was it like at that fateful moment, that last trip to Jerusalem, when eventually Jesus was executed? And of course, what was it like to see him risen again um, a few short days later? And the only other person that um, Peter, uh, that Paul saw apart from Peter, was. James, who he affectionately calls the Lord's brother. Now, Jesus' brother James was an incredibly important figure in the early church. Um, James is quite a common name um, in, uh, in, the, in the first century, a common Jewish name, so we need to be careful to distinguish this James from the brother of John, the um, so-called one of the so-called sons of thunder in the Gospels. But this was Jesus' brother, or perhaps we should say half-brother. Um, and he was a very important leader. And again, James would become important in that same incident I was mentioning earlier, which involved Barnabas in Galatians chapter 2. We'll get to that later. But then Paul says something interesting in verse 20, which is often put in uh, brackets in English translations. Paul says that he wants to assure people that what he's writing to them before God is no lie. Why is it Paul would need to stress that what he's just said isn't a lie? Well, again, he said that he's, in this whole period, from the moment he had this experience in Damascus, on the road to Damascus with the risen Christ, and then didn't come to Jerusalem for three years, and in all that time, the only apostles he saw were uh, James and Peter, and he spent a couple of weeks with them. And again, by stressing the fact that he's not lying here, he seems to be saying, look, the Jerusalem church has not had some huge influence on me. I want to stress to you that my ministry is actually quite independent of the Jerusalem church. 
Again, this is probably an attempt at Paul saying that his apostleship has divine origin and didn't rely on any individual leader or any uh, individual Christian community. He wasn't sent by any church or by any person. Rather, he wants to assure them that his ministry, having come from God, um, was energized by God the whole way through, uh, and that uh, even now, as he goes into the regions of Syria and Cilicia in verse 21, that he does so under divine guidance and under divine steam, not having been energized by any individuals. And the disciples in the churches in Judea were celebrating, glorifying God, that this former persecutor had now become their brother. And goodness knows that must have been a strange experience. Anyone who had had any experience with with Saul as he was, uh, or had heard of his reputation, to now see him and hear him preaching the gospel. Um, and of course, from the ends, of, from from Acts nine, we can already see that Paul's preaching ministry was already attracting uh, death threats from certain uh, Jewish people, uh, and clearly, whatever had happened to Paul, this was a watershed moment. This was a a one hundred and eighty degree turn. This was. Uh, a change which it's scarcely possible to conceptualize in our minds. But something had happened to Paul. He was different. He was now preaching the faith that he had once tried to destroy. And not only was he preaching the faith that he had once tried to destroy, but he was preaching a version of it to the Gentiles, which was not going to require them to observe Jewish ritual and cultic practices. And this was going to be the biggest fight of Paul's life. This was going to be the defining issue in his career as an apostle. Again, as God's people, we are called to particular kinds of work. And only we know what that work is. Only you, as a believing person, can know what it is that God has called you to. And... Once you're called, it may well be the case that there are some major turning points that you have to go through, major turnarounds that you have to go through in your life. And those you need to embrace, no matter how challenging. It's very rare that a Christian can know the path to which God has called him or her without some kind of pain. There's some kind of emotional or social difficulty which you must go through. There's a turnaround which will be uncomfortable. God's calling is rarely uh, a peaceful and uneventful calling. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, it's going to be all bells and whistles. But when God calls people to service, when God sends out that invitation for people to turn from whatever their old life was and for Paul as he says his old life uh, involved persecuting the church but whatever our old lives involve our previous way of life uh, amounts to there's going to be some pain involved in turning and not everyone is going to be super excited about that change but once more it's becomes then doubly important 
that you listen to the voice of the call, the voice of God himself that calls you to be who he always intended and who the world most needs and what God calls you to in 100% of instances is precisely what this world needs. Don't let that gift be muted. Don't let it be subdued in any way or by any body. Let that gift shine. You are exactly what the world needs because you've been called by God.